0: What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take
1: time to chill. This is Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Follow at hood on Twitter. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports.
0: Under the hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. So glad that you're with us. Well, we've really been enjoying the last dance documentary on ESPN. We turn to a longtime pre and post game host. Uh, covering the Chicago Bulls, and you hear his voice on some of these voiceovers and see him, Steve Cashel, is uh, joining us here on ESPN 1000. Steve, Jonathan Hood, thanks so much for
2: your time. Hi, Jonathan. Great to hear from you again. Appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Oh Boy, this this has been fun. Uh, how, when you see yourself or hear your, some of your, your voiceovers, does, does that bring back memories for you?
2: It does. It does. You know, I, I watch with great anticipation. I mean, that second... Uh, episode when, um, you know, they had the tight shot there of me interviewing Michael. I don't know where we were, Seattle or someplace, and uh, all of a sudden, I've never heard my phone beep like that. I mean, I got like 70 texts, just beep, beep, beep. My son was like, what is that? You know, (laughs) it was fun. Brought back great memories. I remember the camera crew was there, Mario and some different guys that I remember, and uh, it was a lot of fun, but never knew how they were going to put this together. So uh, it's great to be a part of
0: yeah you see that you saw your son he's like hey look at this the old man there you see him right there right next to the great one michael jordan that's got to be that's got to be a thrill for him too right to see you there with the coverage
2: Yes and you know I've got two boys Jonathan 15 and 13 and they both play a lot of sports baseball basketball football hockey and um they've always heard of Michael Jordan they see my memorabilia and the pictures and but they never really got to see him play obviously um so they're watching this and fascinated now and just uh, amazed by uh by these Bulls teams, and you know what Dennis Rodman was like, and Scottie Pippen, but especially Michael. And so it is—it is great to share with them because you can only tell so many stories at the kitchen table. For mm-hmm. them to sit down and watch this documentary uh, has really been uh, something sensational.
0: Um, is there something in the documentary that you did not know? Some things that you stood out to you, maybe in the early days that you were not aware of, but it came to the forefront on the documentary for you
2: yeah Jonathan, you know what? um what I was amazed with uh, something that i didn't realize uh the big takeaway never knew before how much Dennis Rodman studied rebounding, you know a- analyzing the fight of the basketball so innately as to make him the games uh most prolific rebounder really probably since Will Chamberlain. You know, he studied where Michael's misses would bounce off the rim as well as other shooters, you know, Carl Malone and shooters on his own team as well as those of the opponents. So um, I thought they took us inside that that I've never seen before, which was really, really cool. And then the rags to riches stories. Um, who better than Dennis, who got thrown out of his own house by his mother, who grew up in, pro- in poverty? And, you know, I never knew he had jobs, you know, cleaning cars uh, at a car dealership and then doing those different things. And he uh, was drafted in the second round by the Pistons. We forget that. And then Scotty Pippen. How about that story? I never I knew he was one of 12 kids. But where they grew up and living and two of those 14 people in his family were in wheelchairs, his dad and his brother. So amazing uh, little sidebars and side stories uh, in the documentary and things that um, I might have heard at one time but forgot about. But uh, those are good stories to take away.
0: Steve Cashel with Jonathan Hood on ESPN One Thousand and the ESPN Chicago app as we talk about the Last Dance documentary. So it's it's funny, Cash because you were there i was there as a producer and a part-time talent at the time and so i you know we both lived this we we were reading the newspapers day by day about the chicago bulls and the championship years and i just find it interesting how some look at this with 2020 eyes like the first big controversy is oh i can't believe scotty signed that initial deal i mean those many years and so little money he was one of the best players in league how could that happen but then as you mentioned here's the backstory. Scotty took care of his family, living in poverty in Arkansas, and two two family members that were handicapped that he took care of. Yeah, sure. I mean, of course, he deserved to have more money, but he was able to take care of his family first. He did go back to the table, of course, looking for for more money, and eventually he was made whole at the end of all of this. But just it's funny where we hear the conjecture of well, you know, people stepping in and say, Well, I, I don't know why he would do that. Well, think about the time and then look at his whole career from a financial standpoint, he eventually was taken care of.
2: Yes, he was. And you're exactly right. I mean, uh Jerry Reinsdorf told him, you know, don't sign this deal if we think you're gonna be what uh if we think, you know, you become what we think you're gonna become, you know, it's gonna be small money at the end of the deal, which is what which it was. What well, was he, the sixth highest paid player on that last Bulls championship team, which is remarkable, but they warned him, and yet I agree with you. He wanted to take care of his family. You put $18 million in front of this guy uh, early on, um, and he says, I'm taking the money right now. You know, something could happen, I could become injured. Um, I'm not sure if that was all guaranteed money at that point. The NBA contracts, I know for the last number of years, obviously have been, and it only seems like they were, but uh guaranteed money at uh, eighteen million dollars take care of uh you know thirteen family members it was a it was a given it was a must he had to do that so um yeah people <laughs> look at it as you said twenty twenty now but it's uh it's something that Scotty had to do, and um, I'm sure he's glad, glad he did it at the time.
0: So Michael Jordan, before this documentary came out, was a little afraid of the perception of him after people watching this. Now, look, you've, you've been at a lot of those practices and the veracity of Michael and the way he would push because he wanted to be able to get the team at a certain level. He did not want to be a great player and not be able to win championships, and so he's had a vision that a lot of the other players did not So what do you think the perception of Jordan is now where everyone is able to, you know, look behind the curtain at some of these practices?
2: Well, um, some people think he's a bully and, you know, a bad guy. Others, and I think these last two episodes really showed it, Jonathan, uh, Michael being driven, especially with that group of the second championship, the second three peats, um, where Steve Kerr and Bill Wennington and Luke Longley, and even Tony Kukoc, you know, were kind of along for the ride. Judd Bushler, Scott Burrell, Randy Brown, never part of a championship before. And Michael had to, you know, get these guys into into shape, meaning become championship players. You know, don't just be happy you're wearing the Bulls jersey, but, you know, I expect us to win championships and nothing less. So I'm going to ride you until you play like me or have my attitude have my drive you know and so that's the way i take it and you know i mean he never really harassed anybody to the point of hazing or anything like that he was just driven and if it took a fight um you know and he again he respected steve kerr for for hitting him first you know <laughs> so it took that but um uh i think michael had to get all these guys on the same page look i'm back and i want to win championships and if you want to write it uh, you better write it the right way
0: Cash, I, I think at the end of episode seven, I, I don't know if I've seen um, winning at all costs, um described the way Michael described it, where he's in tears at the end of that uh, episode, trying to describe what it means to win, to be able to be a champion. I don't know how that struck you, but that was like one of the more powerful scenes in that whole documentary because I hadn't seen someone explain that to that point where it's a whole different level of trying to win. Um, that was I thought that was pretty strong from Michael.
2: Yeah, and overall the documentary, Jonathan, um, it's been MJ unfiltered. You know, it really has. Um, and I we're almost surprised that um, ESPN is allowing all the f words. You know, I mean, but I traveled with that last championship team. That's the way Michael talks. I mean, you know, and it's never uh, against people or you know threatening people with 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 that word. Um, but that's just part of the way he talks. And I know it's uh, it's more filtered on, on ESPN too, but. To, to watch the ESPN, if, you, if you've got kids old enough um, that can take it, um, you know he's he's unfiltered and uh, and he's emotional and he really uh, he really comes through in this like I've never seen him before. So I think maybe that's what happens after 22 years of being able to, to think about, let's relive this, let's go back in the time machine and uh, and share this. So, yeah, he, he's been more emotional than we've ever seen him, and for him to explain what it takes and his philosophy behind riding guys and, and what he, what it meant to be driven and what it took to, you know, uh, have him get motivated by these little things that most people never get motivated by. Uh, it's been fascinating. Uh,
0: I think Cash, you've been part of probably the biggest media scrum in the history of sports <laughs> because you saw them the documentary, right? The first, uh, the first retirement for Michael, where you saw Brokaw doing the NBC News, the Five Thirty News, I think live there. Right. Uh, that's that, that's that 's incredible the amount and, and i don 't think that was hyper, i don 't think it 's hyperbole when you take a look at that camera scene uh, where they panned all the media from probably across the country and around the world to see jordan 's retirement at the Birdo Center, that
2: was amazing well jonathan here 's what 's amazing. I was talking with some guys uh, the other day about it. Um, you know that story really didn 't come out until the night before. Remember the White Sox were in the playoff game at, um, at uh, Comiskey Park, or whatever they called it back then. And it was fascinating because, well, who was it? Um, Pat O'Brien got, the, yes. got kind of the story. He was the sideline guy for that baseball game, so to speak. And he said, you know, the Bulls have called a news conference for tomorrow at 11 a.m. or 10 a.m. And how the world showed up. <laughs> to get there in time is fascinating Broke <laughs> all and all the rest i mean it wasn't just the local guys it's like everybody from the country there had to have been a lot of uh 5 a.m flights that day if not private jets being flown into o'hare and various airports around our area to get there in such short notice this was a shock to everybody
0: uh steve cashel with me jonathan Hoods. we talk about the last dance here on espn 1000 and the espn chicago app I want to ask you about this documentary and the new look Chicago Bulls. How much can this documentary help or hurt the current Bulls? Because there are some stories here about Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf and uh, the old guard for the, for the Bulls and what we're going through right now with the current Bulls. Uh, how much can this documentary impact anything that the Bulls are doing now?
2: Well, good question. Um, you know, all that's left really is the ownership group and uh, and the hero from, you know, the first, one of the heroes from the first three championships, John Paxson, when you think about it. So, um, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf always done a, a great job as an owner, in my opinion. Um, it was needed, time was needed for a change uh, with this regime. Um, even though I, I think the world of John Paxson and, and Gar Foreman, um, but to bring in the new guys, I think it's great. Um, I think, you know, it puts Chicago back on the map because it has been a rough couple of years for the Bulls, uh, especially seeing that attendance down this past season. And um, I'm hoping that. Um, You know, people will, when they wear that jersey, will will be watching this documentary and say, "Wow, you know, we're wearing a a special jersey. We're we're wearing a a worldwide brand, a part of a worldwide brand that you know was Michael and Scotty and Dennis and six championships in eight years." So, you know, I hope the players feel that. Um, I hope these new guys coming in uh, in basketball operations see this and the pride. That it has been for Chicago so I'm going to take it as a positive I I don't think there's a lot of negative Um, uh, I I think Jerry Krause has been portrayed um, as a villain in a lot of this and I think it's undeserved because I still think Jerry's one of the best general managers there's ever ever was you know he wasn't popular Um, he got into it with Michael and then later with Phil and that was unfortunate but um, I always thought thought great things about Jerry Krause as well
0: Steve, you've known John Paxson for a long time. We've seen him as a player, as an assistant coach, as a broadcaster. But being the vice president of basketball operations, he seemed like a totally different person. Did you see changes with John Paxson over the years?
2: Yeah, and he's talked about luck before, but it's been a lot of bad luck or things that didn't go the way that he planned. I mean, I think of two things, Jonathan. I mean, they built this whole thing around Derrick Rose. And It is funny how people think our foreman was a bad general manager, I mean, that's been said. I never th- thought that, but he was executive of the year when Derrick, you know, was the NBA MV- MVP, and the Bulls were the number one seed and heading to the playoffs, and You know, then the Tom Thibodeau years, um, when they could have gone to the NBA Finals, you know. um, But, you know, Derek got hurt, and it was horrible. Um, But, you know, all of a sudden, everything unravels. It's amazing. As soon as Derek's injury happened, it was time for the rebuild. And it wasn't enough with Jimmy Butler and then, you know, Wayne Rondo, and one year after another, and Thibodeau really let them down. I mean, here's a guy that, you know, John Paxson told me he was impossible to work with. And then Thibodeau goes to Minnesota, he was impossible to work with. That was a huge letdown. When the Bulls got Tom Thibodeau, I remember John Paxson telling me, oh, gosh, we can't believe we got this guy. We never thought we'd get Tom Thibodeau. We think he's one of the top assistants ever in the NBA, and the next guy to be groomed for, uh, you know, to be a head coach here for 9, 10 years is longer longer than Phil Jackson. And he let everybody down, you know, because he was impossible to work with. So I think he wanted everybody's job. He wanted to be the president and GM and player personnel director and the team doctor and team trainer. He didn't want to listen to anybody. So that was just one letdown after another, and uh, and a, a bit of bad luck, and some draft choices at the end that didn't go their way, uh, and then player development, and now the coach. So, um, yeah, it's it's changed, John Paxson. That's a great way to put it. He has aged like a president.
0: Uh Tim's also wanted your job. He told me that off to the side. It was off the record, but he's <laughs> also interested. <laughs> Tim's also in to your Tom job. Tom was
2: very nice. You know what? He was a nice guy, but it just, boy, I mean, I, I just oh, it kills me cuz I thought he was a great head coach, but it just, you know, he couldn't he couldn't work with what was given to him. He he wanted to do things his 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 way, and it just didn't work out.
0: I want to tell everybody uh, how uh, such a great guy Steve Cashel is, and I'll give you an example of how great he is. So I couldn't get to the United Center because I'm doing the show afterwards, but Cash at halftime got a chance to interview Queen Latifah and Gabrielle Union uh, before she was Gabrielle Union Wade, and he got me the autographs of both. And it was, and I still have that in my uh, in my man cave downstairs. Uh, it was written oh, out great. like in, in in black pen. Hi J with a, like a little heart and a smiley face from from Queen Latifah and Gabriel Union. And you got that for me, and I'll always appreciate that.
2: <laughs> I remember that interview. <laughs> that's great. They were they were sweet as can be. I tell you, and and uh, and loving basketball. So that was fun to have them at the United Center and on our shows
0: that's the closest i will get to that type of royalty but thank you for at least i was able to get that uh, that autograph so i appreciate you doing that for me
2: um, Absolutely. i miss i miss watching the games with you jay we used to be in the espn conference room when i was doing the, the pre-game halftime postgame shows and boy we saw some classics didn't we and yeah <laughs> through some things around the room and it was fun. <laughs> yes and i would tell you it's okay it's the league the bulls will
0: win again tomorrow <laughs> <It's> exactly <okay. laughs> well cash i'm glad you spent some time i i had to get you on because this uh this last dance documentary has uh opened up a lot of eyes and people really are able to know you know michael jordan the competitor and just in in Again what's so interesting to me is not just the the championships but the journey the all-back years you know going back to how hard it was to beat Milwaukee for god's sakes, to beat Cleveland before we get to the bad boys I, the journey is the most interesting thing to me in this documentary because you know what it shows it shows the modern athlete uh the modern NBA player that just because you step on the floor doesn't mean that you are going to win a championship. you got to go through it a little bit before you can win. And Jordan went through it. A lot of frustration, a lot of blood and tears, and finally he was able to be a champion. So, that, I hope uh, that message uh, is out there for everyone to see.
2: I agree. It, it was a journey. It took the Bulls seven years to build the championship around Michael, uh, and then for him to come back and go through the baseball thing and then develop into a basketball body again with the help of – his uh, personal trainer Tim Grover. Fascinating stories and some great uh, sidebars as well. So this has been fun. I think it's good for Chicago. It's good for sports. We needed something new to watch sports-related, and uh, it's been a heck of a time machine, Jay, so a lot of fun to share with you as well.
0: Cash, all the best, my friend. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Stay healthy, Jay, you and your family, all right? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much.
1: This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood. Listen to me. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
0: Been great guy, Steve Cashel. Covered the Bulls for so many years, doing pre- and post-game. Did some play-by-play play as well good to track him down. If you missed our conversation, make sure you download the ESPN Chicago app. Great app when it comes to listening to our programming live on the go. And you say, oh, I, ha- I don't have an iPhone. It works on Android too. So Android and or iPhone I have it on my iPad and on my iPhone as well. So check it out. If you haven't done so, download the ESPN Chicago app. So easy to navigate through uh, a podcast. Listen, I work weeknights at seven. You're probably home with your family, kicking it with friends or whatever. Um, and so if you don't get a chance to hear all three hours of our show, that's why we have the podcast. Look for the ESPN Chicago app and download there. Um Bill Barnwell, who was on the program uh, last week, Bill Barnwell does a great job covering the NFL Uh, 2020 NFL offseason winners and losers, quarterbacks, free agents, teams, and trends. And so I'm scrolling down, seeing if there's anything about the Bears, anything about the Bears, searching, searching. And he says that one of the losers is the Chicago Bears and Mitch Trubisky. And it says, while the Bears started this offseason, suggesting that Trubisky would either be their number one week starter in 2020, their actions suggest that his future is tenuous. Nick Foles in the mix, and in restructuring the former Super Bowl uh, MVP's deal, it guarantees Foles $21 million over the next three seasons. You talk about uh, stories that's out there for everyone to to read and hear. I think Chicago is is a very interesting team because it could teeter-totter on success where the Bears are in the mix with the Vikings and the Packers in the NFC North or going in the wrong direction. Or even worse, staying stagnant, staying at 8-8. Eight eight. Um, so this is why this upcoming season, whenever we have it, will be very interesting. Uh, when we looked at the schedule for the Bears, looked interesting uh, and winnable through the first four or five games. Now you wonder... Moving forward, can the Bears beat some of the really good teams, teams that are supposed to have a deep run in the playoffs um, in the middle toward the end of that schedule? So we'll see. But I, one of the losers in Bill Barnwell's piece is Trubisky and the Bears um, because, well, Foles has got $21 million over the next three years, and Trubisky did not get his fifth-year option. Uh, can't wait to see how this season uh, comes about. All right, coming up. We have got Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. If you're a wrestling fan, tell them to stand by. Josh Lopez will break down Money in the Bank that took place in Orlando, Florida. That's coming up next right here on UTH. This is Under the
1: Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Wrestling fans, are you ready? This is Tuesday. You people Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood.
2: First of all, Dusty Rhodes, I think what you are is a big, ugly, low-class, redneck goose. That's what I think you are. Yeah, I put it, I know
1: I put it, but I'm most of all the baddest man around in the world today. Follow the show at Wrestling TWT on Twitter and Instagram. But remember, my fireflies, as always, I'll light the way, and all you have to do is let me in. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. The bottom line is... In all my magnificent, you're going to be mine all night long. Here's Jonathan Hood. It's Tuesday
0: Wrestling Tuesday. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. If you love pro wrestling, if you love sports entertainment, we got you every Tuesday night at 930 with the very best in pro wrestling conversation. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram at WrestlingTWT. Again, that's at WrestlingTWT. Check out the YouTube page as well, YouTube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Money in the Bank taking place in Orlando, Florida at the WWE headquarters as well and at the uh, Performance Center. We turn to Josh Lopez from ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. We actually go to the website ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. Any organization that you're interested in, uh, especially of the major ones, the WWE, what's going on with MLW, AEW, uh, and all the great promotions around the country, uh, Josh has all the transcriptions the information that you need. Go to com, and Josh joins us here on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Josh, as always, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show.
3: Ladies, it's a pleasure to be back on the program. How are you doing?
0: Doing very well, thank you. I want to get your thoughts. Uh, before we go into what happened on Monday Night Raw, I just want to get your thoughts about the empty arena era. Uh, the EAE of, of wrestling today. We are going through this in a big way with the two big promotions with AEW and the WWE NXT thrown there as well. What are your thoughts as a young wrestling fan watching now in the era of wrestling where there are no fans in the stands?
3: I look at it in two different ways. I have the fan, Joshie, that looks for it from point of view. Then, as you mentioned, I have the work that I have to put into these shows where, you know, a lot of wrestling fans dictate the overall perception of the show based on live crowds and whether it's hot, whether it's cold, or just indifferent. For me, it's different. Like, I tune out the crowd when I'm transcribing a show, buddy. So it's a little different experience for me. So from that point of view, it hasn't been that bad because I can focus solely on what's going on in the ring and make sure I could point out the uh, dialogue properly so things don't go over people's heads while a uh, show's going on. So that part has been fine. Entertainment, uh, I mean, there's been some funny sketches from AEW, like the Slim slam Challenge or the Manitoba Melee, stuff mm-hmm. like that. That's really funny. Uh, but I think there's been some good like, serious uh, promos as well from both companies, whether it's Cody Rhodes, whether it's Drew McIntyre or Seth Rollins. Um, uh, you know, with both shows, you have your hits and misses, but I think for the most part, from my point of view, being a younger fan, I'm still as attentive of what's going on right now as it was pre-pandemic.
0: Yeah, I was pre pandemic. Yeah. I just, you know, again, as an old school wrestling fan, my focus has always been on, on what's going on in the ring. And I think that but- during this time until we get fans back into the stands as a wrestling fan, uh, it, it. I would want to see a lot more promos, a lot more character development, a lot of backstory, if possible. Because if wrestling mm-hmm. companies don't feel comfortable in putting on a slew of matches with no fans, and you've got to be able to do some bells and whistles, like we see with the WWE, they've had some. They brought up the old WWE Films people to be able to start taping some of these uh, long-form um, matches and events they've had. That's great, but this is right. a time now where we get away from the Dave Meltzer vacation of wrestling in which, all oh, the fans didn't yeah. say anything? Okay, that match sucked. Well, no, that's yeah. not what it's about. No, you've been into enough Raws and SmackDowns in your life, and I've been to plenty of events to know that if fans are not into the match, doesn't mean the match sucks. It just means that the fans either are not educated or they're looking forward to seeing something else, but we're seeing some great work rate across the country, even though there's no fans. And, and quite frankly, the focus is supposed to be in the ring anyway.
3: Right. And I covered enough fan Pro wrestling shows over the years to grasp that concept. It's not a flight of performers. It's not a slight on booking. It's, two minutes into the match, somebody's already saying, Fight forever or this is awesome. Like <laughs> you don't even know what the story of the match is and you're already chanting fight forever. Like <laughs> stuff like that <laughs> never really made sense to me. But uh you know, it's all about what happens in the ring at the end of the day. And there's still good wrestling with the fact that we still get live children, both WWE and AEW. And I think right now, more than ever, there's kind of a blank canvas as far as how you present a show in an empty arena. I don't think you can really fully go into the pro wrestling playbook into booking shows when when the majority of the entire business has been based on booking for a live audience. It's just totally different parameters right now.
0: So I want to get your thoughts uh, about uh, Money in the Bank, the uh, event taking place um, on this past Sunday. Uh, And Again, you go to prowrestlingtranscriptions.com, read what Josh uh, has to say, blow by blow. Everything that happened on that show, you can read about it on prowrestlingtranscriptions.com. So I I want to get your thoughts uh, about the overall card. Did you like the card, and do you like the idea that this pay-per-view was a light night for you because this was under two hours and 30 minutes?
3: <laughs> it felt like an NWA pay per view. Yeah. Quick. Yeah. Quick quick to the point, pal. Uh, <laughs> uh, I I enjoyed Money Bank for the most part. Uh, especially from the world title matches. both matches had the different elements. I thought Bray and Braun touched pretty good on the storytelling aspect in their match. And I didn't think that match affected either guy, possibly or negatively. And then you have the Drew mcintyre steph Bronx match. At that point, you kind of feel bad for the guys because that would be a match that would be like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Get all those cliche chants in. And those guys ripped it up for like 20, almost 30 minutes in that match on Sunday. Uh, you know, you saw the uh, match with Bailey and Tamina, which far exceeded my expectations for that particular match. Uh, you had the opening match. It was like size, the hedgehog. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was a hard message to transcribe, but that thing was going at 105 miles per hour.
0: Yeah, there's no, it's no question. Uh, with drew McIntyre and his matchup against Seth Rollins. So, okay. So this matchup taking place at money in the bank. And I would have liked to see this match maybe a month down the road, but I understand. I mean, here we are in the month of may. It's a matchup that you want to see, and um, I, I think that I'm good with seeing this match a couple times. You know, if, if there were live events or house shows, you want to see this around the loop because I'd like to see another gear from Drew McIntyre. He already is at the top of his game. I'm just wondering if we saw this on the non-televised event where we see Drew McIntyre, you know, for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, how much would the crowd be behind him? Is there something that we haven't seen from him uh, that we, we don't see on TV. I, I like to see these two even more so, uh, more than just another month for four or five months to see how good this match really could be.
3: I just wonder about the overall dynamic regarding Drew McIntyre. What would then the general feelings towards Drew McIntyre overall if the crowds were still going to be shows? But he, that's what I'm looking at from this point of view because what he does in the ring, the guy, his work speaks for itself. He's had really good matches on TV with Andrade and Angel Garza and the list goes on and on. I'm not wrestling is not to concern me for Drew McIntyre, but you know how fickle the society is. Once you become the guy and you're the world champion for WWE and you're now representing everything that's going on there, you get uh, added sense of not only pressure, but you got people putting you on the pedestal that maybe you're not ready to be on at that certain point. And, you know, I know some are like, why is Seth Rollins getting a world title shot, even though he lost in WrestleMania? With everything that's been played in the cards in WWE right now, where maybe like a third of the roster is signing at, the, at, at these performance shows, you, you, that was the one guy on the Raw brand that has credibility. Whether you're a fan of the Monday Night Messiah or not, Seth Rollins has credibility, and I think what they were able to pull off in that game just for a three-week bill going into that pay per uh, this Sunday, paid dividends because both guys ripped it up, and I thought it helped really both guys. and helped bring Drew to a different level. So I'm not really concerned from a wrestling standpoint where Drew can connect on a bigger level. It's just you never know what the physical nature of the wrestling audience these days. oh, since Drew finally got what he, he reached his goal at WrestleMania, are we just going to be indifferent towards him? are people just getting their hands like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of questions that go just beyond what's going on in the ring
0: well you can put me into the voting category of not liking the monday night messiah bit i i put me in that category (laughs) so ridiculous it's so i mean there's a way to do that and Mm -hmm. um and again that's just going through your vhs tapes looking for how to be someone that's a zombie-like figure the Kevin Sullivan era, the, even the 90s with yeah. Raven uh, right. uh, or, or Crow Sting. There's a way to do that. But just yeah. for him to just stay on the apron like he did this past Monday on Monday Night Raw, and then then all of a sudden he snaps. Okay, you got to be one or the other. Like, are you just so down that and so despondent that you cannot help your tag team partner on Raw? Or are you going to be back to who you were before? Also this. Clearly, this is the WWE trying to make Seth Rollins out of some godlike character because somewhere along the line, Vince probably looked at Seth Rollins one day and said, like, my God, you look like the depiction of Jesus. And and so if that's the case, if that's the case, wouldn't he be wearing white instead of black, like white all the time? It's It's just... Yeah. Some of these things are just um, off-putting to me, uh, especially if I'm going to invest time in it.
3: (laughs) Well, I didn't know why they didn't have the church music before his WrestleMania match with Kevin Owens.
0: Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) If you're you're going to go that way, right?
3: Yeah, go all the way out with it. I kind of wonder from wrestling past, which wrestler, no matter what territory, which particular wrestler would work with that Monday Night Messiah gimmick?
0: Uh, on the current roster?
3: No, but in wrestling history, like with Lanny Papa work working that area. No, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, yeah, and
0: possibly, yeah. Um, you know, because there have been some wrestlers that have called themselves the wrestling god before. I mean, obviously JBL comes to mind because he always yeah. called himself a wrestler. Mm-hmm. You know, Flair called himself a wrestling god uh, in the in the Turner years in the NWA. You know, that, yeah. that's you know going back to the ECW days of what uh, Raven did with Tommy Dreamer, you got to be very careful with with all of that stuff. It just, it's amazing uh, how the WWE flirts with um, uh, the higher power where, you know, Shawn Michaels is in a matchup with God against Vince and Shane. Uh, Like, like, what is that? Why?
3: uh, (laughs) Oh God, I, 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 It was the 2006 2006 grade when that went
0: down Holy yes moly. i mean yeah, for, for <laughs> those listening we're not making this up i mean there's actually a tag team match where Shawn michaels the heartbreak kid uh, took out and had his tag team partner god against the mcmahons and and when he introduced god it was just uh, a spotlight uh with nobody coming down the aisle obviously and they just a spotlight just going right from the back of the arena to the uh, to the ring and just kind of like this is so stupid like it's just amazing um I was not happy, uh, as we talked to Josh Lopez from ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app, Josh, I was not happy uh, that I've got what I wanted out of Money in the Bank, I did not get. I did not get a Tamina Snuka win uh, against Bailey for the SmackDown Women's Championship. I'll tell you one thing. This is how you do it, right? You're Tamina Snuka, you've been in the company 10 years, you've been underneath at least nine of those 10 years where you have not been utilized or you're not in the program, you're in catering and you're not even on TV. And so there was, there was this push. If, I don't know if you noticed this on social media, there's this push for Tamina Snuka. Like finally, she gets her opportunity. Finally, she'll be Mm -hmm. able to win a championship. It's been 10 years and WWE, they, they bought into it too, but you saw like the Usos supporting her. You saw, uh Nia Jax you saw certain WWE superstars that were like yes hopefully Tamina can get this done and, and it doesn't happen okay so I right. was rooting for Tamina then I see the match right and it, it's like it's like god if if this was like 5 or 6 years ago maybe but as much as I wanted Tamina to win that match to see Tamina out there I was like oh wow she can't work <laughs> it's like, it's just, it was so bad It's like the match wasn't great As I mean it was just kind of a, a raw Smackdown type of match but I, I was looking for another gear and Tamina didn't right. give it to me she gave me color by the numbers Tamina I'm like wow as much as I would have liked her to win a championship that's just not getting it done that won't work mm-hmm.
3: you know it, was, it had a different vibe this wasn't like Trent's uh, Trent Seven them fighting from underneath you know I was yes like <laughs> we got to remember what some context is for those who are not caught up with the product. I mean, Nina's had, I don't know, maybe two or three D surgeries over the last five years. So she has some wear and tear in her and she, and she started wrestling late. Let's not forget about that. She wasn't like a young, young blue chip prospect when she came into the WWE. Um, you know, my disappointment with, the whole thing with Bailey and for me, and it's not fully up to me. It's just like I'm totally indifferent with Bailey, and I know they want to stretch this out for a potential match with Sasha Banks. But we've been teased with this so many times over the years, Hoodie, where it's like, just get to the match or stop teasing it already. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm different to Heal Bailey. Uh, I, I, Sasha is good for what she does, but I, I, it's like their pairing does absolutely nothing for me. And I'm not clamoring for Bailey and Sasha to have this clinic of a wrestling match that I saw four years ago. Like, I had enough seasons. to get like stretched out for absolutely no reason. And Bailey's heel work is not good.
0: No. No, she has, you know, why? Because she's a baby face.
3: Right. <laughs> That's
0: why. Because, she, I mean, it's not like Becky making that, that little bit of a turn where it's like, okay, she's got a little edge. All right, I can see it now. But Bailey, you know that that's a that's a white meat baby face from the beginning. From the beginning, she was, and she's doing the best that she what she's given with, of uh, that what she's been given. But she's just she's a baby face, and she's trying to be a heel. And it's just when you look like that, uh, you don't. It doesn't matter what you do with your hair; you still look like a baby face. And so uh, I yeah. would I will agree with you that you know it's coming, like Bailey against Sasha. But that's not some top of the card pay-per-view WrestleMania match. I can't wait to see because I've seen that before. So I don't know why, why is that something that, Oh, wait until they get together. If they, if Bailey turns or if Sasha turns on Bailey boy, that that's still middle of the card. I mean, they probably will have a good match, but it's never going to be great. I don't think where it's going to be like, wow, I can't wait to see that match. You know, at least that's how I see
3: it. And this overall, the dynamic of the women in WWE, you have, and I know this—a is pun for last dance has been phenomenal recently. But like, when you have Charlotte Flair, who may as well be the Michael Jordan of female professional wrestlers, no matter what feud is going on on Raw or SmackDown, Charlotte's still going to get top billing at the end of the day because she's that damn good.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, well, is what I talked about uh, last week on the show, uh, Charlotte. And this is this is going to be a be a long form conversation for us on a podcast together. Charlotte right. Flair is is Ric Flair in this regard. Rick was a champion of the WWE. He was champion obviously in the NWA with in WCW, uh, but in the WWE's standpoint, he was never respected because he was a Crockett guy because he was a Turner guy. And so right. the same thing here with Charlotte, right? Charlotte, of course, is the best worker as, amongst the women in the in the company. By far, she is. But because she is, there's not enough personality for Vince to put her in a position on a pedestal where they push her like they push Becky, or push her like they push, um, uh, you know, Becky, you know, Becky Lynch or Bailey or some of these other wrestlers. Of course, right. Charlotte's the best worker, but she'll never get that number one spotlight that she deserves because she doesn't, she won't put Doink the Clown makeup on because she'll never be outside of her queen persona. And it's like Rick. Rick was only Rick. Outside of a few other things that he did, Rick was Rick. And so same thing with Charlotte. She's just a great worker. And in the WWE, that's not good enough, clearly.
3: Mm -hmm. Tell me me I'm wrong.
0: Tell me I'm wrong about that.
3: No, you're not wrong. I agree
0: um Braun Strowman against Bray Wyatt so Braun goes over and he's strong as a universal champion so that's fine but the bigger story is so what now with Bray Wyatt I think you're the best to ever explain the Bray Wyatt story on on this show you're the best one to explain everything that Bray's went through all the way through to John Cena at Wrestlemania so now explain what is Bray Wyatt supposed to be in 2020 with another loss
3: Well, the genesis of Bray Wyatt and The Fiend are two different things. Bray Wyatt can play the mind game, but The Fiend executes whatever Bray Wyatt wants to accomplish at the end of the day. When you have Bray come out in his Mr. Rogers gear, it's pretty uh, well-certain feeling that he's going to lose whatever match he's in. Now, this was a little different when the last time Bray fought regularly and was against the Miz and it felt like absolutely nothing. They actually had some story into their match that they were doing on Sunday with Braun Strowman. Yes, yeah, Bray Wyatt lost, but he did see the, the graphics for The Fiend uh, right before they went to that commercial break. And when it comes to The Fiend, he always, pays, he always uh, gets retribution for those who have done them wrong in the past, whether it's John Cena, whether it's Ben Balor, whether it's Daniel Bryan. And Braun Strowman is next on the hit list, hoodie.
0: I guess... <laughs> i guess we just we keep losing though that's the problem it's like it's it's strange um so we get to the money in the bank and we come to find out that oscar wins on the women's side and otis of all people wins on the men's side um so it, it's it's kind of what i thought it was going to be i thought yeah. it was going to be you know a lot of haha because it's money in the bank ladder match is going to be at the wwe headquarters it won't be the traditional money in the bank ladder match and so there's yeah. it, it's the Vince McMahon ha ha it is brother love coming out of a bathroom cuz you got to have bathroom humor got to have that in the WWE it's Paul Heyman at catering because well he's overweight and it's Paul Heyman so you got to put that in there of course he'd have a huge spread at catering and then there's Ste- Stephanie and there's jeans vince for the first time ever Vince, vince with the jeans uh, got to have John Laurinaitis because of People Potter got to have uh, Doink joint the clown all these things you got to have because Vince has to have his haha. But here's the thing, though, Josh. Like, uh, it's what I expected, um, but I did not expect Ot- Otis to be able to win uh, on the men's side. It'd be interesting to see how that works for a year or, or less. And then Asuka, who has been one of the best female wrestlers in this company, uh, ends up winning it, and we understand why now, but it's just watching it, I said, here comes another WWE films special. Like we saw with the Boneyard match, like we saw with uh, Gargano and Ciampa. Here's once again the WWE flexing its muscles with their films um, and put together what they thought was comedy right into getting on the roof and battling for the, the ladder. Uh, for, uh, battling for the, uh, the briefcase.
3: Uh, Bruce Pritchard has a line that Firstly, uh, describes my feelings on what I saw on Sunday with that particular match. Well, you know, tell
0: everybody about Pro Wrestling Transcriptions dot com.
3: Pro dot com, number one hub for all your result pages. Uh, I give you every piece of info that you need, uh, whether you're unable to afford a cable network or don't have the time to catch up with all twelve wrestling shows a week. So, whether it's Impact or MLW or NWA, who's airing Superpower tonight, or AEW Dark, that has nine matches this week. <laughs> I mm-hmm. document all that for you. Uh, I dropped in a couple uh, documentaries or podcasts if I had the time to type that out. It, it's a literally, uh, point of reference hub for professional wrestling fans. If you want to know what's going on in Tor Wrestling and you don't want to get littered with ads and just go through your regular jersey site i give you everything you need to know on pro Wrestling transcriptions.com
0: uh and also the hoots podcast uh, where you, wherever you download your podcast look for the hoots podcast uh tell me what's going on there on your podcast
3: hoots podcast i'm getting uh doing weekly reviews of the uh, the last dance uh the best sports documentary i've seen in the last five years i've just loving it every single week, uh, especially the soundtrack hoodie. You know, me as a musician, I'm, I'm eating mm-hmm. up all the songs that they're airing in the series so far. And um, we, of course, we talk about what's going on with the weekly product. And uh, also try to give out some advice to people who are dealing with mental health issues during this pandemic, and I share some life stories along the way. So uh, Hoops Podcast is a variety show, helps you get your mind off of negative thoughts or negative energy in general. So check out the Hoops Podcast, anywhere you get your podcast from.
0: Of course, being on this show, it has it does not help your mental energy at all, so I'm sorry about that. It doesn't <laughs> dealing, with, dealing with me does not help your mental at all, so I uh, apologize no. in advance.
3: <laughs> You're totally wrong about that, though, man.
0: <laughs> Just, uh, Josh, as always, I appreciate your your uh, perspective, and uh, thanks for coming on the show, as always.
3: Anytime, Hoodie. I appreciate it.
0: Josh Lopez from Pro Wrestling Transcriptions uh, with us. Don't forget to follow along on Twitter and Instagram at WrestlingTWT for all your wrestling needs. Thanks so much for listening to our program tonight. Uh, don't forget we have a full show tomorrow between 7 and 10. Our thanks to Sean Davis on the other side of the glass. Thanks for listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood.
1: This is Under the Hood with Jonathan
3: Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.